0: Whether it's for work or play, we rely on home internet so much these days. Being connected and staying connected has never been more important. So if you want reliable internet, bought you at speed, switch to Aussie Broadband. It only takes a few minutes to sign up and their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help. Aussie Broadband, the actual Aussie way. Find out more at aussiebroadband.com.au. T's and C's apply. G'day guys, welcome back to this week's episode of Dylan Friends. This week on the show, an absolutely incredible, incredible guest and someone that I'm so blessed to have had an incredible conversation with and someone I definitely want to get back on the show. Um, And I'm sure you'll find out very soon why, Dan Price. Dan and I are really lucky to be official MoBro Ambassadors this year with Lululemon and Movember. And um, yeah, we couldn't be more blessed. and, And to be honest, I couldn't be more proud to be standing next to someone like him for such an incredible cause. Um, Dan has an incredible story of, of mental health and his journey through his his whole life of of mental health. And today we get to hear um, all about it. And yeah, I think you know you would have heard in the disclaimer prior to the show that this is a pretty hectic episode. And um, yeah, it does go pretty deep into to Dan's life and the struggles that he's he's overcome and and still battles today. But um, for me, it's been an incredible insight into into those things. And um, especially in this month with with Movember and what we're trying to achieve, I suppose, all the time is just bringing more awareness to these things, and, and I definitely learned a lot today. So um, yeah, can't thank him enough for sharing his journey with with everything he's been through and, and what he's doing now to to spread awareness is really second to none. He's competing in a, um, a new challenge, which is the 205-kilometer run across Sydney through the mountains. I think he says it goes for about 40 hours all up, which is unbelievable. Um, this guy has just got some incredible mental strength and... Yeah, really learn a lot from him. So, so pumped to get Dan um, on the show to hear his story firstly. But, yeah, I think he'll be one that we can hopefully get back on very soon to to talk about um, his running as well. Because I know that I was super passionate about that. And, yeah, we sort of discussed of late that, you know, how much that's helped us both um, having a bit of a routine with with fitness. And um, I know definitely in the last sort of six months I've said it numerous times and I apologize but not really um, how much you know running's really helped me just get into a good routine and feel a lot better about myself and clear my mind and oh it's funny I've just even got like 10 times more energy uh, but it feels a bit silly chatting to him when I'm trying to do a marathon and he's running 205 kilometers in a row so so yeah hopefully you enjoy this episode i um, absolutely blessed to sit down with Dan as I said and yeah, hopefully we can all get something out of it. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Many ways, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears tears, 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 Strength. I'm like, I run. She's like, yeah. everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to Next. the Olympics? <laughs> They're sitting there meditating going, oh my God, I think I'm meditating. Like, How good is this? Like, <laughs> i meditating. We had a Wu-Tang call. I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Just love it's it. It's knuckle puck time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Dan Price, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's an honour, pleasure and privilege to have you uh, on the show.
1: Thanks, mate still it's a pleasure to be here thanks for having me
0: so excited for this chat mate um i've been really looking forward to this one for a while we've had it in the works and um yeah blessed to to be an ambassador with you of of movember and obviously lululemon too but really looking through your credentials today i don't know how i'm sitting in the same room with you because you are one impressive incredible human
1: Ah, mate that's um that's very kind coming from uh an ex-professional AFL player. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Well, when we talk a, bit, a little bit later about what you're up to um, with Movember, I'm sure that everyone's going to agree. It's a, it's a lot more than being a, a professional athlete um, on the footy field, that's for sure. But, mate, let's um, talk it through. It doesn't look like you are struggling too hard to grow some facial hair. We're like five days in and you've already got it back.
1: A little bit, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I can grow a decent beard these days. Um, it's funny, though, when uh, I used to get picked on at school for uh, – you know, when are you going to go through puberty? Um, you know, high-pitched voice. He used to get actually quite bullied for it. Like, by year 10, I was still uh, looking like a baby face. So it's funny how the tables have turned there.
0: <laughs> oh, mate, I honestly, these days, like, I have a really weird, like, growth of my beard. Um, a lot of people would think I can't grow them, which I definitely can't, but I, a, I just grow, like, a neck beard. I, if, <laughs> if Movember was growing neck beards, I would be, like, the best the ambassador. Movember ambassador in the world. But this year, I'm deciding to... To do the run instead, um, and do the move, but I'm still trying to grow the mo. Honestly, I did do the shave down the other day, and it, I don't know if it'll come back in time.
1: Yeah, you might you might miss it. Run into December, and next year you can have a head start. <laughs> yeah. I have plenty of my mates just start growing it in in August.
0: <laughs> How'd you get involved um, in mo- November, mate? It's it's. I think you're uh, how many years now have you been involved, and, and how did you get involved? Um,
1: it? Yeah, I think the first time I. Started doing Movember. Um, I just grew the mo and, and didn't do much else. And I think that was five years ago. Um, yeah, and and then obviously it just it just ran a, an organic course in terms of me getting more involved and wanting to do more in the community. Um, you know, obviously it'll come out in our conversation today how passionate I am about men's mental health and suicide prevention in particular. Um, I'd done a bit of work with some other charities, and then just really loved everything that Movember was about. Um, once I got to know a few of the team um, and people that work there a bit more, and the community, um, yeah. And then they asked me—must uh, be two years ago now—to be a uh, an ambassador, like a formal community ambassador, they call it. Um, which uh, just means that you do a little bit more, you know, in the space, um, bringing people together, host events, whatever that might be, and. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey and and now, you know, here we are, um, you and I uh, are the, uh, what what are we called, the official uh, Movember Lululemon um, ambassadors for this year, which is cool because Lululemon and Movember have a really special partnership and, mate, I've been blessed to to be supported by Lululemon um, with the projects I've done in recent years, especially this year in particular. Um, They've supported me yeah, behind the scenes for the last two years, but this year has really taken on a a whole new level um, with, uh, yeah, my plans for this year. And um, yeah, it's really exciting, mate. So, I guess that's a long, long answer to a, to a simple question, but yeah, been involved for about five years, but, um, and yeah, more formal in the last couple of years, which is epic. And I hope, uh, I hope I keep doing the right thing by them and, and, um, you know, I can see it being something that I sort of do forever.
0: Yeah, you definitely are doing the right thing by them, but, um, yeah, big shout out to everyone that is involved in Movember and Lululemon and... Especially Dusty and Lauren, who are our contacts that have, you know, headed this whole program and put us together and given us the opportunity to be a part of it. We can't thank them enough to do it because um, today, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get through, there's some incredible messages that we'll be, we'll be sharing and um, especially your journey, which has been um, unbelievable and really inspiring. But firstly, what are you doing for November? Because this is something that is pretty fascinating and something that, you know, I was telling you off camera, I was trying to flex like a few weeks ago that I was doing a marathon, and um, when you when I heard about what you were doing, really quickly I thought I, I better not even bring it up.
1: Uh, yeah, I know, and I said to you, mate, it's all it's all relative, <laughs> right? Um, so don't don't be hard on yourself. Like marathons are, are tough, and, and you know it doesn't doesn't mean because I'm running longer now that marathons aren't hard. Um, I just enjoy the pain of going further. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so this year. Um, well, I guess to make the story give a little bit of context, so in short, um, two years ago i um, I decided to run sixty Ks for November, and I hadn't run a marathon before. I'd run one half marathon and so did a little bit of training, went in pretty green, and um, you know didn't run it any super quick or anything, but I ended up running my first marathon and ultra marathon, I guess, in in one sitting, and fell in love with the community aspect of distance running, all these run clubs and everyone getting together around a common goal and um, like moving for Movember and running or doing any sort of exercise for a cause uh, isn't a new thing, it's not a new formula, but you know it just works and I, I fell in love with it myself and it gave me a lot of direction in in my training. Um, I'd kind of missed that team sport thing and, and connecting with mates and that was something that was missing that community. And then last year, my mate, Lockie Clancy, and I decided to... So he ran with me that day, as did a lot of other people, and he decided um, with me that we might try and double that distance. Like just, you know, talking about doing essentially a triple marathon like it was normal. And we, we had this text exchange, and it's just ridiculous. And actually, he used to be a footy player as well. Very Like he played for the North Shore Bombers, so it wasn't professional, but he was very good. And... He's a great athlete, so he's just good at anything, everything. So he revved me up, and then we said, well, we might as well add 6.6 kilometers onto the 120, and it becomes a triple marathon, so 42.2 times three. Um, and people just thought we were mad, and we ended up doing that last year. Huge turnout. We ran from Bondi Beach to Palm Beach and back. If you know Sydney, you know that's a very long way and pretty hilly. Um, and that was the stepping stone for us to, um, or for, for me really, um, like you know I've got still got the support of Lockie and, and all my mates, but I really kind of wanted to go off on a, a little bit of a tangent and solo mission because I love trail running and mountain running, I've really fallen in love with. Um, so yeah, I searched for a trail that I thought made sense that was out of Sydney, but still in reach. I wanted to get people out of Sydney experiencing trail running like my road running mates, because I just feel like it's just another level. Um, so I found this old hiking trail um, that has a decent amount of history to it from um, Hawks Nest to Barrington Tops, um, and it's 205 kilometres. Um, normally it takes people about 11 days to hike the route, and I'm going to try and run it uh, in one hit, sub 40 hours if I can. We, it's got a, you know, I don't know if you know sort of elevation when you're running, if you use an app to kind of get a feel for what hills are like um you know but generally say you did a 10k run and it had like maybe 300 meters of elevation like that'd be hilly like that'd be going up heartbreak hill around sydney and a few times that sort of stuff this run has seven thousand meters of elevation
0: that so 40 hours is that like this is a really stupid question here but 40 hours like i'm assuming you're not sleeping in this time at all you're just going straight through like do you just go until you stop like
1: yeah um Well, this is why it's so exciting, mate, because I haven't done this before. The longest time I've spent on my feet is 14 hours. I've done 100Ks in the Blue Mountains. I did a race in May, which was kind of a stepping stone for this. Um, Make sure my body could handle that. And that was a tough one, uh, like a tough race, really hilly. Um, But going through the night, pushing this very ultra, ultra distance, um... There's a, there's a lot of different strategies. And because I'm green, it's the first time I've done it, I really don't know. Some people um, sl- plan to sleep around 24 to 30 hours, tends to be the time when people start to f- unravel. Um, but there are some people that can push for two days without stopping, um, without their performance dwindling. So it's this cost benefit of how tired are you versus your performance. Like if, you, if you're tired, but your performance is still good and you feel you can keep going, you kind of keep going, um, depending on what your goal is. Like the goal for me is to... I don't want to completely bury myself, so I'm not going to be running really, really hard. Um, I will be running kind of within myself a little bit, but my plan is to keep moving. Um, I'll have safety crew and aid station stops like a long distance race would, um, and a safety beacon and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, the plan is just to keep moving uh, until I feel like I need a nap, and then try and keep it short, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, see if that recharges me enough to keep moving. but it's anyone's guess, which is kind of exciting. You know, there's not there's not too many things in life that we do for the first time these days. Um, and that's kind of what really excites me the most about the challenge is going overnight through the bush overnight, um, you know, head torch on. It's going to be a pretty wild experience. I've only ever spent sort of four or five hours out there in the dark. It's just a really different experience and, you know the most exciting thing for me is that I know every time I've run long in the last couple of years, I've learned a lot about myself and about life, you know, Um, just kind of teaches you things. Um, And you hear that story a lot from ultra endurance athletes in any sport, whether it's swimming, cycling, you know, the list goes on. People that do ocean kayaking around the world, like it's all these themes of really meeting life where it's at and meeting yourself where you're at and having to to learn a lot and and ask the hard questions of yourself what your why is and why you're here and obviously I've got a huge purpose and passion for men's mental health and suicide prevention so you know that um, coupled with the fact that I have two young kids that I want to you know make really proud and and show them that you know you can dream big and and um, and have big goals and and chase them and not fear failure and and all those sorts of things so mate, we will just I'm going to just have a red-hot crack, really, and see what happens. The wheels could fall off, and, and that'll be a good story too.
0: This is absolutely incredible. I'm so excited to, to, to see this and see how it all <laughs> pans out. And I think I know um, deep down you're going to do incredible things, but it, something that you said then really resonated with me, and I heard someone talking the other day. Funnily enough, I think it was Will Smith, um, who does some amazing speeches on YouTube if you haven't seen them and need some motivation. And he was talking about running. And he says, like, one thing you should do in, in life is run. And I was never a runner. Even though I played footy, I, I really didn't like running. I had a really bad relationship with it because it was, it was like a job, so I just didn't get the enjoyment out of it like I do now. Sure. And something that I really, really have learned in the last few months training for this marathon and, and, um, and running is how much running actually does build your resilience. And it's nearly the only thing without actually going through something emotionally, you actually can train your mind to not give up. Because you are putting yourself in these situations where the whole time you run, your brain is just telling you to stop the whole time. like there's And, and, the, and the things that you can tell yourself, like, oh, I'll slow down, I'll slow down after this one, you know, maybe we'll just stop here and we'll do our shoelaces up, we'll keep going. Yeah. Um, on an, a, a much more extreme level for you running 200 kilometres and through the night, I can imagine there'll be so many situations like that that you've already been through, in fact, it's not just in the run you're doing. But how much do you think it, it really has built your resilience and, and – um. and and mindset throughout you know the time running
1: it builds a lot of resilience for for me personally for sure like it gives me a lot of confidence in life like um i lean on the times that uh i've gotten through some some really tough runs for sure um but i also lean on my life experience too i kind of feel like they're transferable um you know like sometimes i'll yeah when when the runs get tough because as we're going to talk about i've been through some really hard things in my life and I lean on those and remind myself that I've been through that. Um, and in life, sometimes when it's when I'm struggling, I go, "Well, mate, you know, you can you can get through this, you know, period of anxiety or this, you know, extreme workload you've got or whatever it is, um, because you know you just ran hundred k's in the Blue Mountains, like you know you can you can do anything." So, yeah, it certainly um, builds resilience for sure. And I think it's like for me personally, um, doing these ultra marathons. It really is like an intense version of life where I kind of, you get to tap into and practice all those skills, like the problem solving, the realising that that, that, oh, stop and do your shoelaces up here thing is just the voice in your head um, giving you an exit strategy. And you're always going to have that, like that little voice, um, you know, that doubting Thomas or whatever it is um, that we all have in there somewhere. Sometimes it gets really loud and um, just the recognition that you can silence that. Or, or acknowledge it and sit with it and play with it, you know, like, what, why why is that there? Um, you know, sometimes when I'm out on the trails, like, I literally, I'm having a conversation with myself. Like, I feel absolutely batshit crazy, but, um, you know, it works. And then, you know, when I'm faced with a lot of anxiety in, in everyday life, um, you know, I feel like I've fine-tuned those skills um, and I'm better equipped to to deal with things um, pretty quickly on the fly rather than
0: unraveling. Can we, can we go back, um, Dan? I'd love to give context into why you are doing this, why you are so passionate about it. And you've alluded to a couple of times, You know these strategies that you've picked up and, and times you've related back in scenarios of, of your mental health journey. Um, mm. Can you take us back to you know when you first were aware of mental health and, and what it was like growing up for you and, and um, yeah, to the start of your, your journey?
1: For sure. Uh, yeah, through my therapy um, in recent years, I've realised that um, you know my mental health journey started when I was very young. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD at seven, you know, and that in itself was a pretty traumatic experience at the time. Um, you know, going going off to specialists and having all these tests done, and you know, being stuck in rooms with beeps and lights and. It was, It just, yeah, it was challenging and, and I, I instantly felt like I was different, you know, being sent away from that diagnosis, um, you know, yep, Dan, what we thought was wrong with you is wrong with you, here's these pills, take these and you'll be a normal kid. Like, they didn't say that, but that's all I heard, that's all I remember. Um, and, you know, memories are really feelings and I just felt so different. I felt like an alien, um, I felt like a misfit and... You know, coupling that with um, being picked on for being different, you know, because kids are pretty nasty at school, unfortunately, a lot of the time, and and they don't realise how damaging that can be. And yeah, I was picked on for needing medication to be normal, and no one wanted to sit next to me in class because I'd fidget and talk, um, which is generally um, the challenge for me. It's just, unless I'm super into something, I can't focus on it. but i loved playing sport you know and being outside and i was a good athlete so i'd get picked first for anything you know whether it be bull rush touch footy netball gala day you know everyone wanted me everyone wanted me on their team but no one wanted me as a friend in the classroom so you can imagine i started getting this real like big almost split personality like it wasn't a split personality but that's kind of how it felt and i was like who am i um you know and as a kid without talking about that which i wasn't you can't really navigate it so just kind of grew greater and greater until I realized that, well, I didn't even realize, but what I started doing was um, countering it by just trying to be the best at everything because, you know, subconsciously, I think I realized that, well, if I'm when I'm performing on the sports field, I feel like a god, like everyone's clapping, cheering for me, and I feel amazing, like it lights me up. So I'm just going to try and do that everywhere. So just kind of um, started to have... You know, a lot of sort of perfectionist traits, um, you know, and a really high achiever, working really hard in all areas of my life, um, you know, moving into high school, um, went through some bullying with that whole ADHD thing again, so I did stop taking the medication and had to work a lot harder for my grades and things, which um, just kind of a double-edged sword. I kind of got rid of the fact that I sort of felt different, but I was still... Um, struggling with the symptoms of lacking concentration and not being very into being in the classroom. So I started to then experience um, like performance burnout, um, you know, and anxiety around performance, I guess, especially in the classroom. Um, It didn't so much affect sport, which is interesting, Um, like whether I was on or off the medication, I think it's just because I love to be there. So, you know, I was a tennis player. In particular, was my favourite sport, and you know, I wasn't off with the fairies ever on the tennis court. But I was ninety percent of the time I was in the classroom because I just just wasn't into it. Um, Anyway, so like that's a bit of yeah, my my sort of adolescence background um, with mental health, like the ADHD diagnosis as a kid, and then definitely experiencing quite a bit of anxiety um, through school. But I don't think I um, well, I'm pretty sure I didn't really have major bouts of depression through high school, even though I was being bullied, I wasn't really down about it. I was more just like frustrated and kind of problem solved it to um, counter it by, yeah, just trying to be the best at everything and be really likable too. Like I became this real people pleaser, um, which, you know, yeah, pretty common traits for for people who, you know, are lacking some self-esteem and feeling like they they don't fit in. Then it sort of, yeah, got a bit challenging in my 20s as well um, because of that perfectionist trait is really interesting like it's so interesting unpacking and I know you you um, you know see a psych for your own mental health as well and talk about that um, you know how they unpack things um, you know realizing that I had this pattern from probably uh, 12 13 years old of just trying to be the best at everything. And, and I remember writing down a list when I was 18, when I you know got into the uni degree I wanted to, and following in dad's footsteps, I didn't go on a gap year. I was like, I just gotta make dad proud and be the best. And I remember writing down a list of all the things I wanted by the time I was 25 and 30. And they were things like, you know, get married, buy a house in Sydney, um, <laughs> have a Lamborghini I think was on there, It's ridiculous, you know, but it was all this stuff, right? Um, all these external things. And when you 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 know when you look at that now, like you and I know, that chasing the external is a recipe for disaster if you don't have the internal sorted out, like if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, like it's going to go pear-shaped somewhere along the lines just accumulating external gratification, things, wealth, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they can't define who you are as a person, and they absolutely defined who I was. I got engaged at 22 years old to my high school sweetheart and got married at wow. 23. Um, and I was just, I was just rushing life, you know, I was literally like ticking these boxes off the list. I then bought a house in Sydney, I, um, I'd i got a scholarship to work at an international property firm at uni, um, you know, because I, I had to get that gig and I got a full time job. Like my mates are still over, you know, at Oktoberfest getting wasted and I'm like in a corporate job in a suit and tie at 23. Moving up the ranks, got promoted three times in four years. This is high achiever, youngest associate director of this firm, making big money, buying fancy things, um, and still feeling really, really disconnected and lost, and and relatively unhappy. I think um, my life was really fast paced and really full. To not. Uh, let myself sit still and realise that I actually wasn't happy. You know, like when you just go, 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 go all the time, and I'm I'm sure you've experienced this in your life, you just you, you don't realise that, um, you know, when you stop and you don't have a relationship with yourself how scary it is almost and it's just such an uncomfortable feeling to navigate when you, you're not aware of mental health and you're not seeing a therapist and you're not talking to people openly about, you know, the head noise and what's going on it can be, um, you know, a pretty lonely sort of scary place. And so I just, yeah, I just filled my life with busyness, you know, full social calendar, big, big hours at work. Um, You know, I'd just stopped playing sport by that stage and, um, yeah, started to get in this cycle again of just, you know, burning out essentially. It sort of all culminated in um, my relationship was drifting apart. So I was uh, we were trying to save our marriage. When I was 28, I was in marriage counseling. I'd never seen a therapist before. Marriage counseling is a pretty different dynamic. And I really just don't think it was savable. I think it was just, you know, the relationship was a young relationship. It had run its course and we'd grown apart and we weren't getting on and we wanted very different things from life. But um, I eventually left that relationship, moved back into my parents. I hadn't, I'd moved out when I was 20, you know. And, um, just didn't talk about it. This this was the problem, you know. Ever since I was a kid, being bullied for ADHD, I never told my parents about it. I just kept it all inside, and that toxic behaviour of burying what I was feeling and just pretending it wasn't there was just a theme throughout my entire life. Um, so I had like talking about resilience. I had zero emotional intelligence or resilience. Um, I'd never given myself a chance to even know what that was or practice it. Um, yeah so I had nothing in my toolkit for um, you know looking after my mental health really after getting divorced and living back with my parents um, I fell into a pretty pretty significant depression fairly quickly um, you know kind of felt like I'd failed at life and you know maybe it was all over for me it was you know it sounds quite traumatic now saying that out loud but um, you know, as a young bloke, getting married so young and and everything like that, and and you know, my whole identity was entrenched in that relationship, and it was part of who I was. It's very codependent sort of relationship. Um, yeah, I just didn't know what to do, but I didn't talk about it, and just I was very good at telling people I was fine because I'd done that for years, and um, it's really dangerous to do that when you're struggling. Um, you know, you and I both know that, um, but a lot of people don't realise how. Um, toxic and damaging that behaviour can be. And um, yeah, it got to the point where um, I was so depressed that, uh, you know, it's like really toxic behaviours, escaping, drinking myself to sleep, um, you know, using drugs and alcohol just to suppress my emotions outside of work. Like I was still working this you know, pretty senior position of a corporate job. And, um, you know, the wheels were well and truly falling off. Um, I think people around me kind of noticed, but blew it off as, uh, you know, Dan's gone through our time. He's just blowing off some steam. As You you know, you'd you'd hear that a lot, especially with blokes. And, um, but, you know, it's no one's fault, right? Like, it's just society kind of says that that's okay, I think, in terms of that behavior. That was only just scratching the surface anyway, like I had a lot of demons by that point and my mind had really turned against me and um yeah, I started, you know, feeling suicidal. Um I started really socially isolating. I virtually by that point couldn't really go out in social settings because I thought I was a bad person. You know, my depression had kind of really taken over my brain and um you know, it almost felt a little bit like paranoia, like the anxiety was so intense that like, I was like, oh, are they talking about me? Like, oh, I'm going to leave. And the depression was kind of like poison, mate, running through my veins, you know, and, and that, that noise, you know, that head noise, that other voice in your head just takes over completely. And that's all I could hear was negativity, um, you know, and... Uh, I remember waking up, well, I didn't even wake up. I'd spent the night in my car, which was something I was doing fairly regularly, um, just through the shame of, you know, showing my face. I thought I was just a burden to everyone around me. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I spent the night in my car behind my office building in Sydney. And um, when it ticked over to 5 a.m., I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore, you know? Um, And I walked myself up to the Sydney Harbour Bridge with the intention of of taking my life, you know, I climbed the the outside um, of the fence and walked to the middle of the bridge and was there to to yeah to end it and um, made it just all made sense in that moment. You know, I felt like um, it was the right thing to do by myself and everyone around me. I kind of had come to this place where I was like, oh well, you know, you had you had like twenty seven good years and then a few bad ones, and you know, you had a good crack. Um, you know, time to go. Life's not for everyone sort of thing. And, and it's really, really sad looking back, like it's hard to talk about still, um, even though I, I talk about this quite regularly. Because um, I was in a lot of pain, you know. Um, and unfortunately, um, because I'd gone, um, you know, I'd been suffering depression alone behind closed doors for so long that, um, you know, my mind had turned against me and the suicidal thoughts made sense and I thought they were true. But, mate, very luckily, as you know, this is, you know, it's a happy ending to what could have been a very, you know, sad, sad and very common story, um, which is why we're really here to talk about, you know. Um, mate, I was within seconds of jumping. You know, I'd taken off my watch, which was a pretty, you know, nice thing that I'd bought that my brother really liked. My younger brother's five years younger and he loved it. I took it off and I sat it on the railing next to me. And that was kind of, I was leaving it for him and I was ready to jump and... Um, I was surrounded by sirens. And before I knew it, there was a cop um, yelling at me through the fence, urging me not to jump. And I ended up uh, having a 20-minute conversation with with that police officer, Aaron Trevitt, who's now a pretty good mate of mine, actually, which is really special. And um, mate, he just just told me that he was there for me, um, that everything was going to be okay. For the first time in my life, I felt completely exposed and vulnerable like I felt like I'd hidden it all until then and no one really knew (laughs) and um, although I was petrified I kind of he just had a way of, of holding space for me you know he wasn't judging me he was telling me that there was a lot of support out there and he's seen people come back from where I came back from and that I could get my my life back on track and that the things I was saying to him weren't true he's like you know you've got a lot of family and friends that love and care about you I know that and Mate, um, he was able to spark a little bit of hope in me for maybe, maybe he's telling the truth, and maybe there is some more life to be lived here. And made a step back over the um, the railing and let him hold me against the fence, and and um, told him that I wanted to be rescued. And um, yeah, they came and got me. And um, mate, look, the the rest is history, which we can talk about. Obviously, it's a big part of the journey. Was was my healing from that. It's very traumatic. Um, you know, the rescue itself was and then, you know, taken away in an ambulance under the Mental Health Act to a to a psych ward and um and everything that goes with that. Um it's a very intense experience but it was mate, it's what I needed. I wouldn't be alive without emergency services and and the healthcare system. That's hundred percent sure. And yeah, mate I um I'll I'll kinda leave it there and, and let you ask any questions about where you want to go next. But it's um mate, I know it's an intense story. Um that, you know, hopefully will resonate with your listeners and, and, you know, help people see that, you know, you can get through these hard things um, in life is really why I share my story.
0: Dan, it's absolutely uh, incredible, mate. I've got goosebumps um, hearing your story. And unfortunately, it's it's one that we both know is is all too common. And, um, you know, to get through what you have and to be where you are now, it's nothing short of a credit of, you, of yourself and, and what you've been able to get through. I've got so many fucking questions, but firstly, one is the conversation you had with Aaron, um, the police officer uh, on the bridge that night, was that the first time you'd nearly spoken to anyone about what you were feeling? Was, was that one of the first conversations that you actually have had that whole time?
1: Yeah, it, it is. Um, I uh, I'd had some, some, very, um, yeah, some very brief um, sort of half-truth conversations, I guess you'd say. Um, with a few people in my life who had kind of, you know, they could tell things weren't quite right with me, um, for sure. You know, those warning signs were there, the things... Yeah, I was just... I'd changed, obviously. I couldn't hide it that, that well. Like, I did put a mask on every day and, and try to pretend I was okay, and that was fucking exhausting. That was the hardest part. Um, but, uh, yeah, mate, it was absolutely the first time that I'd been honest and that I, you know, I said, I hate myself. You know, like that's pretty much what I told him. I just downloaded on him, and and he was able to just say, "Well, I understand that's how you feel right now, but um, you know, you're just not in a good spot. Um, but we can get you back, you know." And and um, mate, he was just the right guy for the job. You know, he I chatted to him just on Monday night. Um, you know, I launched a little a little film as part of this project. Um, And Aaron actually came and and spoke, um, surprised me actually because he's had back surgery and I didn't think he was going to be able to make it, but, you know, he even said, um, you know, there at the presentation on on Monday night, he was like, mate, you know, um, you didn't look like you wanted to be here, but, you know, and I'm not a trained, um, you know, detective for those situations, but he was first on scene and there was was no time to waste. he jumped in there and maybe he's like my guardian angel like honestly i don't know that there was i i i have to believe for me personally that everything happened happened for a reason like because we're here now talking about this and i've Mm. been able to help a lot of people through tough times and i do believe that um you know it's now a blessing that i went through what i went through because it was hard but like you know i've learned resilience um i survived and um you know, and the amount of people that I've met, like my life would be on a completely different trajectory if I hadn't gone through that relationship struggle and then, you know, the depression that ensued that was maybe would have happened anyway, I don't know. Um, I've got mental illness in my family and that's all probably part of it too. But um, and I just think everything was exactly as it should have been. Like he was, there was probably no other person on the planet that could have um, made me change my mind than, than this guy. He's just a... And every day Aussie bloke, like he's a cop, but he just you know, he talks he talks a bit ocker, he's like, Hey mate, how you going? you know, like and he just went, Mate, it's okay. It's like it's all right. We'll we'll get your help. Like it wasn't anything other than what it needed to be, which was just he just honestly gave me love and empathy. And what he said on Monday night was I just spoke to Dan like I'd speak to any human being. I just mm. I just showed him love and care. And that's all I needed and I think that's all anyone needs in these moments is just an ear to listen and some non-judgmental love and understanding you know.
0: And I think that's why you've been so successful in this space because you are so relatable now and that's why you're changing lives doing what you're doing. Um, You spoke about the way Aaron approached you and and how it was just it it really you know touched you and it was a point where you it was the first time you probably had that conversation. Are there other sliding door moments throughout your time through depression or your mental health journey where you think, oh, that could have been an opportunity to, to speak out, but it wasn't the the right time? And I suppose on contrary to that now, how would you say is the best approach to to approach someone that might have mental health issues a friend going to someone is there a specific way you'd say is the best way to to talk to someone that you think might be struggling with with mental health and you know being in the circumstance that you're in and now you're on the other side of the fence
1: yeah um yeah certainly like the first part of the question looking back there were definitely many times in my story where i could have sought help and and put a stop to my unraveling a lot sooner and you know i'm really wanting to get you know what the industry kind of calls upstream away from crisis point um Mm -hmm. like crisis point and saving people um like i was it is is fantastic and it needs to happen but we can get to people a lot sooner and like not even just a little bit sooner like way way sooner like us talking about this today this will land on some ears and some people at a time when they're just starting to struggle and they're like oh I can see a few similarities to to Dylan Dan's chat. Maybe I will go and speak to a psychologist now. Asking mates or, or anyone you love, like you know, if they're okay when you kind of know they're not, yeah, mate, it's tough. Like it's really it's a hard thing to navigate. Um, but I am a big believer in um, in in being pretty straight up and not beating around the bush. Um, I have uh, had these conversations with many many mates and, and people in my life. Uh, in recent years and I, I just point to things that are obvious that are changes for them like very very gently delivered and you know you've got to pick the right time and place like all of that is very important still mm. come at it with a lot of empathy and care and remind them that you care about them but but still point to something very specific because if you just ask someone if they're okay how many times have you said you're fine when you're not when someone goes mm. you're okay all, deal. Time. all the time yeah it's easy it's almost automatic but when someone says, um, are you sure you're okay, Jill, because um, you know, last week you skipped training and you just haven't seemed like your normal bubbly self, are you sure nothing's going on? It's a much harder question to answer. I'm fine too, don't you reckon? I 100%. do anyway. Um, you know, so I'd point to those things, um, the things that you've noticed, because you've noticed, if you're worried about your friend, you've noticed something. So what is that thing that you've noticed or things try and work out how to articulate them and deliver them. Um, and, you know, generally there's shifts in behaviour, you know, personality changes. Um, I think that's a really good strategy, uh, certainly one that has worked really well for me in, in, you know, cracking the egg open or breaking the ice. Sometimes it just plants a seed. And I'll have a mate call me two weeks later and I'll say, Pricey, you know, you asked me and you said this and that. Um, I'm actually going through a really hard time. Like I think my relationship's breaking down and, um, you know, I'm really struggling with it, and I'm scared that we might break up, and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, perfect. You know, this is, yeah. you know, and then, and it's not necessarily then my job. I'll tell him that I love him and care about him and give him advice if I can, but I will always suggest that he goes and speaks to a psychologist, who will give him great strategies to navigate what he's feeling, and then to on how to approach that relationship struggle, or it might be a work struggle. It might be just financial stress it could be anything right but that's how i do it anyway and and if i'm if i'm worried that someone is not safe quite often so a mate two days ago messaged me and said he has a mate who i don't know um who's got very toxic behaviors at the moment um and doesn't want to hear about it and um and the first thing i said to him do you think he's safe because if you don't you have to ask him if he's suicidal um and if you're not comfortable doing that you need to try and find someone who can have that ask that question? Because, mm. you know, the experts in the field say that having that direct, hitting that direct question is very important. If you're worried that someone might be a danger to themselves, you know, because we're, ta- you know, a lot of the time we are talking about life and death. Here. It's not, um, you know, it's not you can't sugarcoat it sometimes. Um, and uh, you know, I've I've asked that question a few times and and got varying answers but it's always positive it's like no of course not like i would never do that like i'm having a hard time sure but or yeah fuck like i've been actually f- having some weird thoughts for a few weeks pricey like what should i do Might you know either way is a win like you, you're just asking a question it's not an offensive question um so yeah there's some tips hopefully they, they help
0: definitely I, I think on a smaller level as well something that i've really learned lately and um i don't know if it, it's similar to you but i was with my mates and, and with anyone i'm always trying to fix problems and you know i've got the problems myself but i'm trying yep. to fix other people's problems and i was sitting down with my my partner um throughout the week and not you know just just everyday life problems we just talking and um i was like we well, should do this you should do that you should do this and my partner said to me can you just listen to me? Like, just listen. Like, I don't need you to tell me what to do. Like, I don't want, I don't want a, a, you to, you know, give me wisdom. I don't want you to like give me a plan. I just want you to listen to me. And it was the first time where I was just like, fuck, like I don't need to, you don't need to always have the answer. You just literally just need to sit there and just, just listen to what people are saying is nearly the biggest one.
1: Yeah, mate. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better. Um, and I'm glad that you you said that. It's Mate, it's, it's the number one thing. Most of the time, people just need an ear. And that's why mm. I think therapy is so amazing. Like, sure, they navigate and they're very good at what they do and they can really help you uncover things um, in your past or trauma and join the dots. But a lot of my sessions, I'm just like, I just need someone to listen without trying to fix me. Like, mm. and it's so, like, because I've been on the other end of that too. And I'm like, you, I try to fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that. Just listen. Stop throwing, you know? Because um, I think it's human. Like, it's, it's innate that we want to try and help. Um, but I, I agree, sitting back and just listening um, and just letting that person know that you're there for them, like, I know how valuable that is when, when especially, you know, like, my uh, fiance Sarah does that for me, like, and I'll say to her, I'll say, like, I just, there's a couple of things going on that I just want to download. I don't, you know, we don't need to have a big conversation about it. Just, just kind of want to lay it out there so you know where my head's at. You know, it's, mate, it's, yeah, it's very powerful to do that.
0: Dan, you're doing incredible things, um, as we've mentioned with the run, you've got so many big facets of mental health that you're promoting and so many people you're helping, but in terms of your own journey now, how do you stay on top of your mental health? What are your biggest tips and, and routines or structures that you keep that personally are best for you that you might be able to help someone else?
1: I think it's pretty simple, really. I think the, the simple things are the, the big wins. Um, we just all forget to do them properly a lot of the time. Like... I really prioritise my sleep. I know it's you know it's not glamorous, but when I sleep five hours, my mental health shot the next day. Like it's just no good. Like I'm just I wake up feeling a bit burnt out and not recharged, and then I've got all of today's problems. Plus, I feel like some of yesterday's problems like didn't quite you know dissolve during my sleep or something. I'm sure there's some neurological. Um, reason behind that, but made us sleep. I eat really well. I just generally take care of myself, right? Like I really prioritise um, healthy eating for gut health because you know there's science to suggest that that really benefits your neurochemistry, your brain. Um, I um, I go and see a therapist regularly, still, even when I don't have big things going on. I see her minimum monthly, generally fortnightly, um, you know, and there hasn't been anything major with me, with my mental health for quite some time, but there's always something, um, you know, for, for quite a while there, all I was talking about was COVID and how stressful mm. that whole thing was, you know, being at home with two kids, working from home and how to navigate all of that. Um, so yeah, seeing, seeing a therapist regularly. Um, some other ones that I do are really important to me is I meditate um, every day. Um, it's priceless for me and, and I exercise pretty much every day. Um, even if it's just a brisk walk on my on my rest days, because I'm you know I'm an athlete without being a professional athlete, but you know running the distances I do, I have a structured training program, and it's you know it's pretty serious um, in terms of its commitment. Um, but I still make sure I'm always moving my body um, and um, communicating with you know my partner in particular about how I'm feeling, being really hyper aware of the fact that you know like I've had a few injuries and I know how cranky and grumpy I get when I'm injured and I can't exercise, but just knowing that I need to shift um, my focus and make sure that I'm doing all the other things right. Because I think sometimes I rely too much on exercise and running to keep me well, um, but it's not always gonna be there. So um, practicing the other things before running gets taken away is important to me. So I've been doing, I've been prioritising that a lot more. I don't journal as much as I used to, but I still write a gratitude list a few times a week, which is really powerful. I used to do it every night.
0: You probably do it really without noticing it. It's probably just a habit.
1: Yeah, I think they have been, yeah, habits just formed now. But um, I, I, yeah, I do think talking is, is the biggest one I would love to see people do more of because that's just, it's the game changer.
0: For sure. I think that that's the biggest one talking to their mates being vulnerable we've we've learned it today and something that's helped me and I know yourself so much in the last six months and I probably didn't realise how out of whack I was with a few things just looking after myself physically and mentally was having something to chase and not just a fitness goal like I know the 205 kilometres and my marathon is, is something there but it's really taught me so much now to have a goal for work have a goal for your personal life and have a goal for your Um, fitness as well And, and for me like having that marathon carrot there that I've got to continually work towards and I can't do everything I want because I've got to go and plan that run or I've got goals with work that I go fuck I need to get this done and I need to have these objectives that I want to hit with work and then in personal life it's like I really want to be traveling a lot now that the borders are open I want to get to Sydney I need to go and travel around Australia and since I've had those three sort of components I've just been like fuck I've got purpose now I've got something that I'm actually looking forward towards and with COVID and, and if you don't have those goals, your life just becomes a little bit on the on the wheel. It's just a bit mundane and you don't have anything that you're really that carrot.
1: Yeah, mate. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, I'd say where we've got a lot of similarities in our personality, um, just from talking before we even started. Um, yeah, I'm the same. Like having a goal to chase, um, you know, especially for me, um, you know, outside of My two, the two most important things in my life, you know, my family, number one, Um, you know, and coupled with that is looking after myself, but um, work, you know, my full time job, Um, but then I have to have something else that's kind of for me. For a period of time, I didn't have that. And, you know, about three years ago, just before I started doing these runs for November, actually, it was kind of a bit of a catalyst. Um, The wheels sort of fell off a little bit. Um, I thought I was in the clear and ignored some warning signs, ended up back in a mental health clinic for a little while to go back on medication. Um, You know, so the the mental health journey and healing for, for me or anyone is not necessarily smooth sailing. Like, you don't survive a mental health crisis once and then be perfect forever necessarily. Some people could be, but it's been a bit up and down. But it was a big um, it was a big wake-up call for me that I'd lost my connection with community and with, with healthy outlets. I was working too much and just focusing way too much on being a dad. And although that sounds good in principle, oh, well, you were really focused on your job and really focused on your family. Great. But for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, um, you need something else. I certainly do. And like you said, that goal to chase for me right now is... Project 205, which isn't just the run, you know, a, a lot of Project 205 is coming to talk to you today, connecting with new people, um, releasing these films around the project, um, you know, telling my story and and really showing people um, what I want people to feel with hearing my stories. There's a lot of hope, right? Like, um, I'm a human being just like anyone else. I, honestly, there's mm-hmm. nothing special about me. I just... Um, You know, I've found the things that work for me, I've worked really hard to be more conscious of my mental health. Um, And you know, I have achieved so much since then, and and not just the material things, like I'm not really talking about that, I'm talking about like the connection with myself, like I I love myself now, like as a person, like I think I'm a good person, I believe that. i never had that for 29 years of my life, just didn't think I was a very good person, I didn't really know where I fit in. And. Um, I hope people can realize and discover that sooner than I did. And, um, you know, save themselves a lot of pain and suffering, but also those that are suffering to know that there's a lot of life to be lived on the other side of mental health crisis. And, um, you know, I'm an example of that. I have two beautiful kids now, Um, you know, and they're also like, in a way, a bit of a goal for me, like in terms of how I want them to feel about me and the world I want them to live in. Like they're Big, you know, sort of um, smaller sub passions for me, um, I guess, is to try and make the world a better place for my kids. And I feel, um, you know, I'm doing everything I can to achieve that right now to, to make them proud. And um, yeah, mate, without, without goals and direction, I'm terrible.
0: <laughs> Dan, uh, I can't thank you enough for your time today, mate. It's, it's been honestly unbelievable. The amount I've learned and um, the insight into, into your brain and what you've been through and what you you know still work through today is is honestly unbelievable and you should be super super proud of yourself because you're helping so many people out there so i would love to keep you in a permanent fixture of dylan friends mate you've got to please come back in on the podcast um i'd love to talk to you after the the two the project 205 to to pick your brain again on how you you got through it i think it would be unbelievable so again i cannot thank you enough for your time um and yeah i was just really honored and blessed to to meet you and hear your story
1: yeah, mate, absolutely. I can't wait to catch up in person. Now that we can uh, travel, we might get a run in together. And um, mate, Please, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll come and have a yarn and, and tell you all the uh, the wild and wonderful stories of, of the 205k.
0: 100% lock it in. You're coming in. Give us a date on that one. When are you actually competing the, the race? It's uh, the 12th I'm starting. 4am yep. on the 12th and
1: I'll, I'll run till I'm done. Hopefully.
0: And is it... Yeah, is there any way we can keep track of it? Like on socials or It'll
1: be shared on socials. I'll have a, a yep. live GPS beacon. There will be some social media when I come through aid stations. Um, yep. and obviously as you as you know, Lululemon is supporting the project. You know, we've got a videographer capturing the the event and everything that goes with it. You know, it's a real team environment. I have two permanent um, crew people who are very experienced in a four-wheel drive tracking me and and getting food and water to me at certain aid stations as I go very remote and then come back a bit closer to to you know the the sort of <laughs> civilization, I guess, um, mate. It's going to be yeah, it's going to be epic, and I um, I can't wait for people to tune in. So hopefully it'll be it'll be shared either on my socials, maybe a little bit on Lululemon socials and Movember's as well. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work yet, but there'll definitely be a live link on my personal Instagram, which you know you can share with your viewers. Yeah, um, that'll be probably my bio hyperlink. Will be that that uh, that live tracker for the for the uh, event.
0: Awesome. At Dan Price uh, on Instagram. And we'll have that in the in the show notes so everyone can follow through and, and through my Instagram as well. We're we'll posting a lot through there. And we'll have some swipe ups and everything to, to take note because, um, yeah, very excited of this, mate. And uh, it's going to be awesome. So can't wait to get you in again. Thank you so much for your time. You're a star. And um, looking forward to catching up again in, in the near future. 100%. Thanks, Dil. Much love. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you or anyone you know requires urgent assistance or support, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. If that wasn't enough for you and you want even more, you're in luck. Dylan Friends is now on Patreon. Dylan Best Friends. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Dylan Friends or you can head to the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you like the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate,